Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to the Helmet. Looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. We got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons of UTHDynasty.com. And it's the one time per year where we shift over and put on our redraft hats. We're going to be talking about the, the one-year format known as redraft. There's also DFS. We play Dynasty. But everyone, uh, I would say, well, 90-something percent of, of Dynasty GMs, they play redraft, whether it's a home league, whether it's a few online leagues, high stakes, uh, bigger tournaments, whatever it is, uh, this is the time to not think about long-term. Long-term in, in redraft is October, November. So here we are, Katie, and it, it, we have the UTH subscriber best ball contest that we're all going to be building our teams later this week on into next week. But here we sit with plenty of, of turns today with, with some players that could have been redraft or dynasty relevant and we're going to be looking at the one-year lens of, of team building through a draft and waivers but not future years so what is your overall strategy thought process in general um, over the years with, with redraft in terms of how it may differ from all the folks that have heard you talk on draft shows and just dynasty shows in general about dynasty team building i'm going to and it depends really on where i am in the first round but not really I'm going to build the strongest running back and wide receivers. And if I get a shot at this particular year, Travis Kelsey in round one, I'm, I'm more than likely going to pull the trigger depending on it would have to be somewhere from four to four to eight spot, but I've seen him go as early as three this year. He is a difference maker, but I wait until like if it's an ESPN or Yahoo, you've got 16 overall spots my last pick is a kicker. My second to last pick is a defense. And my third to last pick is a quarterback in a start one quarterback league. And then if I don't get one of the top three top first three rounds, then I wait until fourth to last to get my tight end because once those first three are gone, there's really not a lot of difference in uh, scoring. And I'd rather stream at that end, at, at that point. So I stream my quarterback for the most part try to pick one that I can use for, you know, four or five games, maybe even through their bye week and then pick somebody else up. But in 10 team or 12 team redraft, there is absolutely no reason to have a backup quarterback. And a lot of teams do. And there's no reason to take a top quarterback. And a lot of teams do. And that's where you can get your advantage at running back and wide receiver before things thin out too much. Yeah, you made some great points, which is, first of all, it's more shallow rosters um, in many and most uh, redraft leagues, and especially the big box platforms, compared to even the most shallow dynasty leagues out there. And you mentioned another key, which is the, the onesie positions where you start one quarterback, you start one tight end. And like you said, the demand later in the draft, it's just going to stop. It's just going to halt. And teams that take a second quarterback, 
that's actually a negative to them as opposed to taking something off of your plate because in that type of draft, you're talking, you know, 12. So let's say it's a 12 team or you got 12 starting quarterbacks. You haven't taken one yet. And then you, you might have a handful of teams at most that take a second quarterback. So we're still looking in the zone of final rounds. You can take a shot on maybe Matt Ryan is going to be there super late or Kirk Cousins, Ben Roethlisberger. If you have a, a younger flavor like a Baker Mayfield or Tua, you can take a shot on them or Derek Carr. You have a ton of options. Heck, even Jameis Winston. I was just, just going to say. Yeah, you take a shot on what, and really you need to look through the prism of how does the season start for them? I'm going to give them a leash of one, two games maybe. And if I don't like like it, or if someone from the waiver wire is my flavor, I'm just going to pivot. And I, I think that's really important to say, I'm not going to have allegiance. Whereas someone that takes, you know, let's say they 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 go earlier on a, on a, a player that underwhelms, they're going to be less likely to pivot to the waiver wire because they have that early investment. Even if they just had the one quarterback, they might be more apprehensive because, oh, well, I, I spent a fifth or sixth round pick on this quarterback. I'm not willing to make a move. If Katie or Chad takes a shot in round 13, 14, you know, the back end of the draft, then we're going to be have less allegiance there and more likely to say, this isn't working out. Let me go over here. And that could be one of the, the, the rookie quarterbacks as well. They start out hot. Let's roll with the hot hand as opposed to sticking with maybe a veteran we drafted in the late rounds. Absolutely. And what I do when I set up my draft board, and you may do yours completely different, but I build my list of teams first. So I've got like Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What are they ranked on offense? What are they ranked on defense? What are they ranked for offensive line? And what are they ranked for defensive line? And then I put their schedule and I've got all the schedules for every team. And I highlight which ones have games versus the top five defenses. And those are based on PFF rankings, based on how they were last year, what they did for free agent moves in the offseason, how they looked with what they added with rookies and trades and things like that. So it's not an exact science. It's still projecting, but you're projecting, you know, top five defenses, bottom five defenses. And then if somebody has a better defensive line, they're more, likely to get sacks, especially if they're facing a, a weak offensive line. So I, I'm looking at all those, huh? And create chaos just in general. Right. So I'm looking at all those different things when I put my list together and I rank them with strength of schedule and a suck factor. And then the teams that have the highest suck factor are my avoid players. And for example, this year, I am not going to draft anybody on the Detroit Lions the Houston Texans, the Denver Broncos, with some exceptions, and the New York Giants. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals is another one. But between their offensive lines and their strength of schedule and who they're playing against, unless it's an elite player, and I do make exception for that. So first I'll go through and I'll highlight my players on the ADP that are target players and then I'll go back through and highlight individual players on sucky teams that still can have fantasy relevance for even if it's a third of the season. But then I weigh my decision during the draft. Do I have somebody that is a blue player, which is a must-have, versus 
a green player who is uh, good to have. If I've got three blue players, I'm going to take one of the blue players. But if it's one of those zones where everybody's kind of meh, then the green takes priority over the avoid players altogether. Um, you mentioned something a few minutes ago at the tight end position, because we can pretty much uh, lump that with quarterback in the sense that um, you know you can wait a while and still get somebody with plenty of early season. Let's see how this goes. Potential. Uh, one of those names for me is Adam Troutman. You know, to, just to wait on and say, let's see how this looks. Saints Saints need target uh, target hogs um, in that offense. Michael Thomas is going to be out for a stretch. Jameis Winston has fed tight ends over the years. He had some good ones at, at, in uh, in Tampa Bay. But yeah, I, I think the Kelsey over. Uh, those top wide receivers, wide receiver is a heck of a lot flatter. Uh, and when you look at the tiers or from the first round or second round, all the way to the fourth, fifth, sixth round, uh, it's a lot flatter than tight end. And, and that, that drop off where Kelsey can provide you a giant tactical advantage um, there uh, taking him in round one, which you mentioned. And I don't feel quite the same way with, uh, with George Kittle compared to Darren Waller and Kittle. Um, sorry, uh, Waller and Kelsey, um, and Waller, you can typically get him, you know, around later, you know, maybe round two, maybe drifting into round three, depending on the league and maybe if it's 10 team, but, but I would lump Kittle a little closer to the pack. Um, and I would make exceptions for that early tight end with Kelsey and Waller. Um, is there anybody else that you, you said you would wait? So I, I mentioned Adam Troutman. Is there any late tight ends that kind of fit that moniker of, yeah, you wait for 10, 12, 14 of them to come off the board, and I still like these guys. Yeah, uh, the Patriots, the Packers, the Washington football team, and the Colts. Those are in those later ranges where I'd be all right with taking one of those tight ends if I didn't get Kelsey. Kelsey's really in the middle of the first round after those first three or four running backs are gone and before, like, I don't really want to sink into a Devonte Adams or a Tyreek Hill necessarily. Travis Kelsey is going to get an awful lot of positional advantage. And then if I'm in the middle of the round, I've got a good shot at a running back coming back in round two. And when we get a chance to talk about running backs, I'll, I'll for sure pitch in yeah. with which guys are avoid, but I like, I like, uh, both Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry for the Patriots and then uh, Logan Thomas for the Washington football team. I like Robert Tunyon from the Packers. So they're all yeah, good later yeah, round Tanyan, targets. Tanyan should have a, a, a good run of that depth chart where Sternberger's made some plays, but he's suspended. You got Josiah DeGuara. He's just trying to make his way back because he was hurt for much of last year. And and yeah, he could be outside the top eight to 10 tight ends. So you could surely get, get a look at him late. Hunter Henry's late, Troutman's late. Um, we'll see about Evan Ingram. You know, I haven't seen much the last 24, 48 hours with his injury, but he's going to be in that range. Um, so if you have waivers, you know, say you're doing a draft, but then uh, you have waivers before week one, or you can make some moves, then if there's ambiguity there, you can always just pivot, you know, if, if there's something, uh, something that changes there. But yeah, I'm good- avoiding all giants. I don't want a giant on my team. And uh, yeah, I, I, I swear their offensive line. Uh, I, yeah. I wonder that and Daniel Jones, that combo, probably not the greatest. Um, all right. So let's talk, uh, let's talk wide receiver. So you mentioned Adams and Hill. I, I'm, I'm the same page that there's not a huge reason to go tight end or uh, sorry to go uh, wide receiver early, mostly because of the difference. I mean, 
this is kind of like dynasty startup drafts to, to draw a parallel that it's just so deep right now. And, you know, some of the names that, that we would see and, and be a, have appealing in, in dynasty. I mean, you're getting maybe Keenan Allen in the third round, for example, that's where Allen Robinson is Mike Evans, Robert Cooper drifting to round four, Lockett Thielen. I mean, all these guys that if you don't get a number one wide receiver until the third or fourth round, I don't think you've really lost much of anything there. And, and that's why some of those early running backs come into play. Maybe a Travis Kelsey, if you get a look at him. Um, but that's why wide receiver is just not in the first couple of rounds, at least uh, very important at all. Right. And of my target teams, the chiefs and the bucks are two really great offenses. The bucks have one of the best defenses and the bucks have the easiest strength of schedule. So guys like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are relatively affordable in rounds two and three. And sometimes Mike Evans even slides into round four, depending on if it's 10 team or 12 team and a 12 team, he's certainly gone by then. The Seahawks, the Titans, their target wide receivers, the Browns and the Bills, the Packers and the Rams, the Cowboys, the 49ers, the Washington football team, and then even the Eagles, the Broncos, and the Broncos wide receivers are targets because they're always going to be trying to come from behind. The Jaguars for that same reason. The Saints are middle of the road on defense. You got Jameis Winston, the gunslinger out back there. That really bumps the stock of, of the Saints. Please don't forget that Michael Thomas is out for the first six weeks. I've been getting him somewhere around round eight, round nine, and sometimes even later. And the Jets are also good targets. Corey Davis is a steal somewhere around like round six, round seven. Yeah, I, I think I think a couple qualifiers I would add, and, and your list is pretty much encapsulating a lot of that, which is look for attachment to quality quarterbacks. And also, if you can, find number one wide receivers. Corey Davis is a really good you know, wide receiver one. He got peppered by Zach Wilson. And let's not pretend like we know how, you know, which of these rookie quarterbacks, if any, are going to be elevators for their offense right away. They're just going to be okay. But at least if you have a number one wide receiver like Corey Davis, you got a chance that even if it's not a great quarterback or great passing offense in general, that the market share could be enough for them to be in the top 24, top 30 of the position. One of the exceptions I would make is Antonio Brown, where he may lead the team in targets. He was right there with Godwin and Evans. Uh, he's going a few rounds later. And I just think he's the closest thing to Julian Edelman, closest thing to Wes Welker of those three wide receivers they have, where he could easily see 125 plus targets. And he's out in a range outside the top 36 wide receivers. So even if you miss, even if you're looking in the mid rounds, uh, you know, at, at specific running backs, maybe you get squeezed on some targets at wide receiver. Even if you only have one wide receiver and you end up getting Corey Davis and Antonio Brown uh, later on, that's not a bad scenario. That's not a bad, I got screwed at the position. This was not my ideal plan, but yet I think you still come out of your top three feeling okay. And you're likely to have probably at least a couple wide receivers before then them, which just speaks to uh, the depth that you could have because there are values to be had later on. Right. And then even if, if that's how you end up starting, you can still get values like uh, Tyra Williams, Terrace Marshall would be available later. Uh, Brian Edwards is 
possibly the wide receiver one for right. the Vegas Raiders. John Brown is gone, and Brian Edwards, this this really boosts him. And just in terms of the perception, it might have been already reality, and John Brown wouldn't have been a factor. But but yeah, he, he's a good, deep name to consider. And um, yeah, continue. And another, uh, Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers are way, way in the, in the late. So picking up guys like that in those final rounds before you pick up your your uh, quarterback, kicker, and defense, they're, they're all over the place. And then if you don't hit on one of them, there's the waiver wire, and there's still tons. There's guys like them that are a dime a dozen. Just be ready to pull the trigger and move. Yeah, and that brings up one point of the final round picks. We mentioned it with quarterback or, or tight end, but it's applicable to any of your later picks in general is don't be afraid to have, again, minimal allegiance and if if it's not working out early in the year, you better have a really good reason to hold firm because redraft, shallower formats, there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking. And the waiver wire is just going to be more robust than you're used to. If you've played FFPC, you have a little bit of idea there uh, in a dynasty format of, of what a, a stocked waiver wire would look like. But in redraft, you just you know, you mentioned maybe being, you know, stashing Michael Thomas for uh, the midseason. That would be an exception. But if, if there's, you know, a, a bigger window where it's like, ah, I just don't like the stink that's on this offense or situation, or this player got dinged up, they might be out two or three weeks. Just know in redraft, it's going to be really tough to hang on to those guys because of the pressure of appealing options coming from the waiver wire that are going to be available to you. Absolutely. Um, all right. So let's, uh, Actually, before we get to running back, we'll we'll spend a, a good chunk there. Um, but but what is your approach to kicker and defense? You mentioned final rounds. How do you break ties? How do you make decisions uh, where you're probably not going to get a look at the top few options um, in either one? Because invariably, you do see probably in the double digit rounds starting, you you see some of those positions go off the board. So you're not going to get a look at the best option. What's your approach at those positions? I am looking for a defense that has uh, early season first couple of games that are fairly easy. And depending on if it's 10 or 12 team, I've consistently got the New England Patriots. They play the Dolphins, then they play the Jets, then the Saints before they have to play the Bucks. And so by then you can just swap them out for somebody else. Another team that has a pretty easy early strength of schedule and a Middle of the road defense, so they're gonna be there. Would be the Denver Broncos. They're playing at the Giants, at the Jaguars, and at home against the Jets. The Buffalo Bills is a defense that a lot of people overlook, and they could very easily be there. They play the Steelers at the Dolphins, and then the Washington Football Team. I'll add. And, uh, I'll add one more, which is the sure. the forty the Forty ers I think the Patriots and Broncos they're on my on my short list, and I really just look at the first matchup or two. Uh, the Forty ers have at Detroit. Let's see how their team is coming together. Uh, Jared Goff is not overly mobile, and then you've got at Philadelphia. But specifically for that first uh, uh, first Lions game, you would love it for them to you know for any of these teams to have a home home game and a great matchup. Uh, and pretty much the Patriots against Miami would be the only one as the Broncos are on the road. You got the 49ers on the road. Uh, but those are, I mean, all the ones we named are pretty much outside the top five, which means if you have three or four, you just, you know, when you get to the point where, okay, it's time for defense, you draft, you draft one that that's left and kind of move on. 
Yeah, the 49ers I've found go long before that second of the last round. So I've never even looked at them, but you're right. They do have a a good first couple games. Another one is the Vikings. They're playing at the Bengals. The Bengals have a horrible, horrible offensive line still. And the Vikings are middle of the pack when it comes to defense and middle of the pack with their defensive line rank and, and their pass rush. So they're another one that potentially the, the Steelers, if somebody lets them go through, they play at the Bills to start with, but then the Raiders and the Bengals are their next two games. I'd be on the lookout for them as well if somebody lets them go through. Yeah, Vikings, that's a good one. They're, they're going to be a defense on the rebound this year. Uh, they do have pass rushers, um, and they should be available. I mean, they'll, they'll pretty much be out there in, in every league unless it's like really deep best ball or something like that. Um, all right, let's get to let's get to running back. Uh, so what is your approach here? What are some, starting out in round one or just early on, what pairings, what values do you like at the position based on where you are? Okay, so just first of all, the backfields that I want to target as much as possible are the Buccaneers, the 49ers, Washington football team, the Patriots, the Eagles, the Saints, the Bills, the Colts, Cowboys, Browns are my number one, and then the Packers. And so Dalvin Cook, if he's there, Christian McCaffrey, if he's there, yeah, I'm not going to let Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook pass by, and they're usually one or two. But if I don't have that one or two pick, I'm just as happy grabbing Alvin Kamara or Ezekiel Elliott as my first running back. I do not want anything to do with Saquon Barkley this year. As talented as he is, coming off of his injury, being a little bit behind schedule on his uh, coming back, having that horrible offensive line, a third-year Daniel Jones with question marks, just question marks about their offense as a whole. Plus, if you're going to get behind, you give up the running game, and they're going to get behind in every single game that they're in. So I don't want a top running back that they're going to abandon the run on, even as talented as he is. Yeah, I think it. I have the same sort of list, which is McCaffrey, Cook, you know, as as workhorse guys. And I always, I always do a quick test, and Kelsey would apply. Um, I think Zeke with Dak Prescott applies. That you say, you know, who's a guy that when you get to a head-to-head matchup and you look at the other team, that you don't want you do, you don't want a part of that. And you know, McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook in years past. When you go against them, you kind of feel lucky if you're watching the game and you're like, whoo, they only scored 17, you know, or something like that. You feel like, oh, well, thank goodness they got pulled at the at the goal line, you know, or they got stuffed on that one, or you know, there's sort of extenuating circumstances. Um, so yeah, McCaffrey uh, cook at the top of the first for me. And then Zeke has been falling to like the mid first. So a lot of times you can get him in that zone. Um, later first, that would be maybe, you know, that's if you can get a Travis Kelsey, for example. Um, but, but yeah, you mentioned Nick Chubb. He gets a lot of hate, but man, I mean, he's arguably one of the most talented guys, if not, you know, top three or four pure runners. You might question if he's going to get 50 targets, but, but the floor is so high there. Um, you know, and Austin Eckler and PPR, for example, the floor is really high for him to get a hundred plus targets, um, and to really have a nice insulation of his floor. Um, yeah, so, so there's a lot of good starts, even if you don't pull one Oh one, one Oh two in the draft. Absolutely. I love, uh, Nick Chubb, depending on the site that you're on, his ADP is anywhere from four to 12. 
And if you're in the second half of the first round, I am perfectly – Nick Chubb is the, the one running back because the Browns are such a big target, and Kareem Hunt is an affordable handcuff, and he, he, the two together can both be fantasy-relevant, starting them both in the same backfield, believe it or not, in a lot of the games. They've got a decent strength of schedule. They've got the number one offensive line. They've got one of the top offenses overall. They've got one of the top defenses overall. And that's another one. If the Cleveland Browns defense slides, grab them. They've got a decent uh, schedule also. Yeah, and they're and if they you can hang in games like you mentioned, the volume can be well insulated because it's not like you're going to be down by 14 points a lot in the fourth in the fourth quarter. You're going to be in it, and that means Chubb's workload is going to be relatively intact and and secure and stable, um, just from a game script perspective. Um, when you get outside the first round or round and a half, uh, who are some of your next targets and say rounds? later second, maybe into the fourth or fifth of looking for this might be your running back two. It might be your luxury running back three in terms of your redraft team build. I love to target Antonio Gibson in the middle of the second round. And most of the time Eckler and Aaron Jones are already gone by then. But depending on where your draft position is, if, if you get a chance to take Aaron Jones or Austin Eckler, I would take them over Stefan Diggs or DeAndre Hopkins, for example, I would certainly, Najee Harris is an avoid for me, just because, again, I think Pittsburgh, with their strength of schedule, their crappy offensive line, and the fact that they're going to have to pass to stay in games, he's just for his price tag. But a little bit later, and, and I've gotten them pretty much, I'll switch to wide receiver because there is a low for running backs once you get past Antonio Gibson, for example, then you're waiting until you can get maybe round four, round five, and round six in that range. Then I'm looking at Kareem Hunt. I'm looking at Leonard Fournette and possibly Ronald Jones, depending on who you think is going to be the leading running back for that team. Damian Harris is affordable for the Patriots. And I mentioned the Patriots backfield getting James white. Now that Mac Jones is the quarterback. I think he's going to be a, a very good PPR back late, cheap, cheap. And I love the San Francisco backfield and they're cheap Raheem Mostert in like round seven and then followed with Trey Sermon the next round. That's a nice pairing to have both of those guys. Yeah, I think with the 49ers, you have big time upside. If if things clarify at any point in time, then there, there's there's big time potential there. Um, and yeah, they're both, as you mentioned, both pretty affordable. I was going to ask because one of the biggest movers over the last week or week or so has been Gus Edwards. Um, I, I I think he's in that what Q, uh, probably running back 20, 25 sort of zone. Um, what's your thought with that adjustment based on where he was? And now, is it fair value? Is he someone that you're skeptical of? We really haven't talked since the J.K. Dobbins injury. Right. I had a draft. I had two drafts on Saturday, and that was the day that he got hurt. And I'd been checking my phone. Somebody drafted Dobbins, I don't know, round three, round four, somewhere around there. And they didn't know about the injury. And later, I think it was round 13, I got Gus Edwards 
but not he's not going there anymore. And he's not really a PPR type back. They're talking about maybe Baltimore gets somebody else. And there's a couple of other guys uh, on the roster that could play that PPR role and diminish him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to grab him earlier than round eight or round nine. Well, and it, whether it was round six or round nine or 10 or whatever, the point is you're not getting them like the, It's just a stay away scenario. You know, that, yeah. that if you're, if you're below the market, um, I would point out a couple other guys in that range. Uh, Josh Jacobs is going pretty affordably. You got Chris Carson probably to see a strong workload. Can Rashad Penny stay healthy? You know, as in addition to anything that's pressuring Chris Carson would be the, you know, the question mark you would have skeptical that that occurs. Hopefully Penny can stay healthy, but Carson has a strong offense there with Seattle. Um, also mentioned Mike Davis outside running back 20 or 25. Um, and yeah, those 49er ones, man, uh, some of my favorites. And really, when in doubt, you know, unless you have a good reason, if that's Corey Davis, if that's a late tight end or quarterback, you get into that zone. But there's so many injury away running backs, you know, when you get to round nine and beyond that you just know in redraft, you can't take as many, obviously, as a 25, 30 man roster in Dynasty. So you're going to have to really pick and choose on who you think has the most clarified upside in a backfield. So that could be if the starter's out, here's what I think of them. Uh, is the starter already a little dinged up? That might be a little a factor going into week one, but just know you can't just stockpile eight to 10 of them. It's just not possible with the constraints and redraft. So you got to be highly selective of what running backs and what situations you, you deem having the most upside. Yeah. You mentioned Josh Jacobs. He and DeAndre Swift are two avoids for me partly because of where they're going. They're going in the Robert Woods, Amari Cooper, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Tyler Lockett range. And I would rather have one of those wide receivers. The, the Lions are going to be behind. They're going to give up the run. Yes, I love DeAndre Swift's talent. I don't know that they're going to make him a workhorse. And same thing with Josh Jacobs in that line. I Again, I don't know that the Raiders are, I think they're going to get behind and have to, throw the ball around a little bit more and, and just for that skepticism and price tag, I'd rather take one of those wide receivers. What do you think about the, the new look Rams uh, backfield? So obviously a good defense, obviously uh, Matt Stafford could be an uptick there. You've got Daryl Henderson, affordable, Sonny Michelle, more affordable than that. Uh, do you have a, do you have a play there or is that an avoid backfield because not really a proven entity up at the top and we don't have a, a lot of predictability on what's going to happen? I'm targeting the Rams wide receivers and, and tight end them would be late, but I'm avoiding the running backs. If I can get Sony Michelle cheap, cheap, like super late and I need one more depth, I'm fine with that. But Daryl Henderson's price tag is a bit too pricey for me. Well, yeah. And Sony Michelle, I mean, do you need to view him basically as an injury away guy? You know, that he just is going to blend in with all the other guys. Is that Tony Pollard or Jamal Williams or AJ Dillon or Madison or like you just have this giant grouping. And, and I think price wise, he probably falls in line with that. Right. Daryl Henderson's going about the same time as Kareem Hunt. I would much rather have Kareem Hunt. He's also going in that Odell Beckham Jr., Brandon Ayuk, um, 
in that in that range and there's just other targets and you bring up a good point which is we we talked in the wide receiver section about how you know round three through five or six is really a meaty zone where you're probably going to spend a couple rounds of those picks on wide receiver and it can be a real fruitful zone so therefore where where does that come from it means you're probably not looking at running back as closely which that's when you put the puzzle pieces of a draft plan together of all right, so this is why you know I might side with you know if I get Kelsey in round one. All right, I probably should be looking running back at round two because round three might be the zone where I start looking more so at wide receiver. So you always put these pieces together of of what does that mean? Um, is there anything else at running back you wanted to add, or maybe we'll talk uh, just for a, a few tips here on superflex if you have that for redraft? One of my favorite one injury away or guys that you consider a handcuff or capable of even having a role like Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb share the backfield and they both can be fantasy relevant. I love AJ Dillon. He's going somewhere around a hundredth overall. So if it's a 10 team league, you can get him in round nine or 10, maybe even 11. If it's 12 team, you got to get him, take him a little bit earlier, but I love his talent, his size, and whether or not Aaron Jones gets hurt, I think he still can be relevant. I like to have five or six running backs, five or six wide receivers, one quarterback, one tight end, one defense, and one kicker. Yeah, I and, wonder if and AJ, that makes up that makes up your sixteen. Yeah, I wonder if AJ Dillon can uh, uh, you know have eight plus ten plus touchdown upside if he is the primary goal line guy. And they're using Aaron Jones in that satellite capacity. They're optimizing him in space, trying not to get him beat up too much between the tackle uh, with some of those more physical carries. And you know the Packers are going to get down inside the red zone, you know, with regularity. So a lot of benefit if, if like you said, it ends up being a thunder and lightning hunt and chub sort of committee, even though it could be a higher volume one, just like the Browns are. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of you know, stand alone, you know, that, that was kind of like Gus Edwards, like some of these other guys that are, you know, in previous years, they're in the number two role, but yet they still might be top 25, top 30 options on, in a given week. And then obviously the upside, if the other player is out, I mean, we've been saying with Kareem Hunt, if Nick Chubb is out, Kareem Hunt automatically is going to be a mid running back one or higher projection for the week. And I think AJ Dillon would have a very high projection if Aaron Jones were out and, Aaron Jones could be top top five, top six in his own right. He already has been in his career. Um, so a couple points here on on Superflex. How does your approach change if you know it's probably I've seen some 16 uh, 16 man rosters in Superflex, but typically it might be like 18. But the point is you have to roster more quarterbacks and have a, a different approach at the position due to the premium. Oh, absolutely. And the way that I look at it is it really depends on where your draft position is in round one. I was in a super flex draft on Saturday and we got to draw names out of the barrel to pick what draft spot. And I think my name was picked fourth and I took the number eight spot. And I did that because I knew who I was drafting against. And I figured that would be where the best value would fall to me not just in round one, but then coming back around on the turn and hopefully ensuing rounds. I ended up getting lucky and got Josh Allen with the eighth overall pick because they weren't going quarterback heavy. If they do go quarterback heavy, 
then at that eight spot, you get one of the top running backs and then do the same thing, come around. And I want to get one quarterback fairly early and then fade the position until I can add two more guys later that have high upside and a different bye week guys like Jameis Winston, who his ADP is still so low because he just got named the starter. Mac Jones is now a value because his ADP people, if they follow just what the site gives you and they don't have their own draft list and a lot of home leagues, that's how people draft. So you get a lot of good value and you don't have, it's not like a dynasty uh, startup where you just have to go quarterback, no matter what in round one, you don't have to do that and redraft. What are your thoughts on, on Jalen hurts? Uh, in terms of the rushing upside, obviously dynasty, you'd be more skeptical than, than redraft, but they added Gardner Minshew. They have Joe Flacco. You could argue they have, they have a couple of the best QB two and threes in the NFL, uh, on the, on a depth chart. Um, is, is his rushing upside enough to sway you in that QB 10 to 15 range? He's, he's at QB 10 right now. And no, like I said, I want to get my quarterback in the first round or two, and then not get another one until late. And then I'm going to go with high upside guys. So that doesn't hit Jalen hurts anywhere. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, I, Aaron Rod- you got Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady. I mean, you feel a lot better uh, about the stability, the quarterback and the offenses um, attached there. Um, and I I'm always surprised. It seems like this might be just a little bit of rookie hype in general, but I mean, seeing Trevor Lawrence as high as he is, in in redraft it is quizzical to me. Um, I mean, I would actually rather take a shot just due to the rushing upside on, say, Justin Fields. But there's so many good options that are later that you mentioned, like Jameis Winston or Cousins or Roethlisberger, Fitzpatrick, that they make a lot more sense in terms of superflex. Where if you whiff, then you know, and you got a guy that either isn't starting. You know, you got to be really price sensitive to taking, say, a Trey Lance, for example, of no TB, you know, t- t- uh, arrival date for for when his first start would be. Is he just going to mix in? So just keep that in mind because they are going high enough that you're going to be passing on projected starters from week one through the entire season. And if you're waiting till midseason and taking a guy that you hope takes over, that can be a bit of a gamble when the price is that high. Well, exactly. So if you get a guy like Mahomes or Murray or Jackson or Allen or Prescott somewhere in round one, and then you wait and you get Matt Ryan at QB 19 or Ryan Fitzpatrick, I love him. He's got a great strength of schedule and they're going to be throwing the ball a lot in the NFC East. So QB 22, Jameis Winston is QB 24, Carson Wentz QB 25, Zach Wilson QB 28. Uh, and Mac Jones, QB 31, although I expect, I do expect that number to rise now that he's been named the starter, but there's a bunch of guys that will be the starter that are dirt cheap right now. If you get two of them plus the one in round one, or maybe you get them in round two and you wait and get an Aaron Rodgers or uh, Russell Wilson or somebody like that type, Justin Herbert sometimes falls to round two. Well, then you're cooking with gas. 
All right, Katie. You know, it's always fun and fresh when we, we kind of mix it up and we talk about a subject we we don't typically talk about or we haven't in a while. And, and Redraft is always the show you suggested a week ago. And frankly, it has to be this week or next week. And this coming weekend is going to be a massive draft weekend. You mentioned this past weekend was also a busy one for Redrafts. What about final thoughts here of a strategy point or two Hey, if you just want to share a story about uh, the drafts you did have <laughs> over this past weekend or shout outs, but um, what comes to your mind when it's we're shifting over, we have our dynasty teams from the whole off season, but now it's it's redraft time the next, say, week and a half uh, for any of that still have drafts out there? Yeah, the, the main thing when it comes to fantasy football, it's nothing more than a game, a strategy game, and you have to plan your attack and be adjustable based on where you end up having your draft pick. But you can draft a great team from the 12 spot. You can draft a great team from the one spot and every spot in between. But make yourself a draft list. Have a plan going in. Know definitively, like, these are the place kickers I can wait for. These are the defenses I can wait for. Have names in mind so that you don't panic when everybody starts taking defense in round four. Let them. When they start taking quarterbacks off the board, I was helping another uh, friend of mine who had no knowledge of fantasy football whatsoever. I was at a birthday party on Sunday, and uh, they called me in to, to be an emergency help. We got a Yahoo draft. And I said, these guys are taking quarterbacks in a one-quarterback league way too early. Let them. And they kept saying, but they're all flying. They're going off the board. I said, let them. Then I filtered by quarterback and I said, do you like Jameis Winston? The person was a Saints fan. Oh, yeah, and I think he's going to be good. Well, look how far down on this list he is. Do you like Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, I like Trevor Lawrence. Okay, well, he's way down on the list also. In a start one quarterback league, would you be happy with either one of those guys? Fine. We'll monitor. Now, if somebody takes Trevor Lawrence and then the only person left is Jameis Winston and we got to make that pick a, a round early. Okay, fine. We adapt to it. But we ended up not having to and got Jameis Winston in the final second of the well, third of the final because we went kicker defense last. But have a strategy, have a draft list. Don't slip on a guy like Michael Thomas, he's way down on the ADP. And if people are going by the whatever website ADP, they're going to miss him and know that he goes in round eight or nine. And if, if you've already got two strong wide receivers, maybe even three by that point, that's a good value. You can wait for the six weeks till he's back. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of the things you're alluding to are keeping it simple. You know, like you don't need, and and I, I I preach this all the time. You don't need some big computer program that's like every single pick. It's like recalibrating and telling you what to do. Uh, the best drafts I've had is when uh, you know I, I would go to these expert ones, and the first year or two, you know, I would lug my co computer, laptop, and you know, in a in a bag and all this stuff, and set it up and have spreadsheets and all this stuff, and go pick by pick. And it's like I actually had the the best time when I literally had a pen and a piece of paper in my pocket that had each position 
I had some names that I liked, general rounds or ordering that they would go off the board. And like you said, I had a few kickers, a few defenses, you know, sort of a hodgepodge of of price point or whatever, just so like you said, you don't freak out if if eight defenses are already gone. You're like, oh, well, I only had two in mind. You know, it was Tampa Bay and Washington. Well, they're gone. You know, so you so I really like the simplicity of just sitting down and honestly, we're in a, we're in a technological era that it's like everyone. It's almost like the ex- expectation is you have your gear with you and all this stuff. And I feel like sometimes it just it's paralysis by analysis. Do your work, do your research. There's no trading, so you're not really moving around the board. It's take the best player, take your next target player, and what works with with your team dynamic so far uh, when you get on the clock every time. So simplicity is key. And, and let's be fair, you want to lug around, you know, your your laptop and a bunch of stuff and materials and all this. Do you really want to go to like a hangout, a, a draft party, whether you're out and about if it's at somebody's house, you know, and then keep track of it? Then I, I don't know. Like just keep that in mind of maybe that is for you. I know I've learned, I've experimented with both that actually the simplistic approach I've found to be better for me because it is a fun environment. It is redraft. It's not a, a startup draft that's going to go over a few weeks and you know, tracking is more important and trading and all these things. It really is a simple environment to hang out, have fun, draft your team, and then you're going to have a four-month sprint and hopefully you're there at the end playing for the title. Um, do want to remind you, we got the the UTH best ball contest for subscribers and super fans. Is uh, I've got like three or four spots left, and they will all be gone. Uh, there is a pecking order to fill final spots. But if you want an auto entry, Thursday is the day that the player list to build your teams is going to be out. But if you want that auto entry, you can sign up at Patreon.com/UTH. Uh, there's some auto entry tiers there you can check out. And frankly, if you sign up as you're listening to this on uh, September 1st, you're going to get a whole month. Of, of patron content there included with your automatic entry. So keep that in mind. Thursday, I'm going to send out the final invites there and release the player list that you'll have a whole week until kickoff to submit uh, your team. It's a lot of fun. Compete against Katie, Tim, Jordan, and myself. There's uh, UTH prizes as well as from some other sites that contribute uh uh, memberships and, and things of that record accord. If you're interested in an automatic entry for Scott Fishbowl 2022, I have one of those. So there's a lot of things. It's just a fun contest. And if you've ever been one that you know you fill out the thing in the newspaper or it's something that's built on a salary cap, you sit there, you have a lot of fun building your team. And then for four months, you set it and forget it and just let the chips fall where they may with scoring and with injuries and breakout players, etc. cetera. Uh, reminder, you can follow Katie in between episodes at FF underscore Skylar399. And of course, you can sign up at uthdynasty.com for more content from us. All right. So until next time, never settle. Refuse to be average. Keep building those dynasties.